Would you turn your Bible, please, to Numbers chapter 13? Very strange text this morning. Numbers chapter 13. The message today, Countdown to Revival. Countdown to Revival. And this is from Numbers 13. We begin with verse 1. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful songs today and the blessing of these golden gems that were on the platform a while ago. The keen men and women who have been through the trials of affliction and fire and difficulty and have found themselves in testimony that they needed to be in God's house this morning. We need spiritual strength. And we pray that their very presence would be a godly example to everyone in the sound of our voice. Father, we pray for revival individually in our own hearts and for our nation, for our church, for our families. We ask it that the Holy Spirit would have liberty and freedom to bring lost souls under conviction. Amen. <clears throat> and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. For every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zichar, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunah, of the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, of the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, another translation is Joshua, of the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Rephu. Of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. Of the tribe of Joseph, namely of the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. Of the tribe of Dan, Amael, the son of Gimel, Ali. Of the tribe of Asher, Sather the son of Michael, of the tribe of Nephtali, Neba, the son of Vophshi, of the tribe of Gad, Gileel, the son of Mekah. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, isn't that a strange text? Stranger still is this one verse, verse 6. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephthah. Now, most of these men that we read in this passage, we don't know anything about at all. <clears throat> They're scarcely even mentioned a second time. 
two of these men have gone down in God's Hall of Fame. What is the difference? We read, first of all, that Caleb was the son of Jephunneh. Now, who was Jephunneh? We don't even know, except he was of the tribe of Judah. He was an obscure person, just a somebody, maybe an anybody who became a somebody. And many of us can fit into this and identify with this because we can say, well, I'm a nobody. I don't have a coat of arms. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm not from royal background. What can I do in a world that is almost a survival of the fittest? Well, Caleb was a nobody also. And as we think about countdown to revival, I want us to think this morning about Caleb. We just know a few things, maybe seven things about this man. Number one, he was the son of Jephunneh. Number two, he was one of the 12 spies sent into the land of Kadesh Barnea or into the land of Canaan from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Number three, he was courageous. Number four, he was present when the other spies perished. He just kept on going when they all died in the wilderness. Number four, five, he was consecrated to God according to Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 1.36. Number six, he was vigorous and faithful in old age according to Joshua 14. Number seven, he was invincible in driving out the giants from his inheritance after he was an old man. Now those are the only seven things we know about Caleb. But what, what a biography we can be built around those seven points. Caleb represents the golden kings that were on this platform this morning. Caleb represents the way God can use a person who will not quit, who will stand on the right side. Caleb is a symbol of revival. You see, there's a difference in revival and a spiritual spurt. Anybody can make a big plunge, and it sounds big and sounds exciting and sounds important, but it's only those who stick with it that will really be the example and can be used by God to bring revival. I believe in protracted meetings. We have a number of them here in the year. We'll have one in August. We'll have another one in October, the Lord willing, and next year. But those protracted meetings are not really revival unless somebody gets revived, unless somebody's willing to pay a price. As a matter of fact, those protracted meetings don't mean very much unless somebody has already been revived when they arrive. Because the evangelist doesn't bring revival in his suitcase. 
even though he's a fire and a blaze for God and we get excited about his holy enthusiasm and commitment laid on the altar of the Lord, that isn't really enough unless one of us has that same desire and fire and excitement and commitment in his own heart. <clears throat> there are four important characteristics in the life of Caleb that we would do well to examine, look at carefully, and pattern our lives after, and ask God to do it again in our lives. And I want to hasten to say that anybody in the junior department, anybody in the teen department, anybody in the college career department, anybody in the young married people, anybody in the adult division, anybody in the golden keen division, anybody can be used by God if you're willing to pay the price. And there may be someone in this room today, this very room, or within the sound of my voice, who could be God's key to change. Changing America, changing the world, changing the nation, changing your, your family, changing your church, changing your workplace. But somebody has to be willing. <clears throat> there was a church in England that was cold. One time I'd seen the fires of revival, but it had grown cold and, and indifferent. And there were two sisters that lived, that were part of that church, but they couldn't go to church anymore. They were sick, invalids at home. And one of the sisters was especially a prayer warrior. And she would pray day and night for her church. Just kept it before the Lord all the time. She didn't tell everybody what she was praying, but she had a secret prayer in her heart. She had read in the newspapers about revival in America. And she had prayed that God would send that same kind of fire to her church in England. She had no idea how God could do it. There came to England a young evangelist from Chicago, D.L. Moody. The pastor of this church had heard of Mr. Moody. He wanted him so much to come to the church, thought it was impossible. But through a strange arrangement of circumstances, Moody arrived in the town and had no place to preach, and the pastor heard about it and invited him to preach at that church that morning. Moody says in his biography, I never preached to a deader crowd. There was absolutely coldness. There was nothing, nothing in the invitation, nothing at all. He became discouraged. He thought, I'll not go back tonight. And the pastor urged him to please come back tonight. The sister that did go to church that morning went home and said to her sister at home who had been the prayer warrior, you can't imagine who was our guest preacher today at the church. Why well, she said, who was it? Why well, she said it was Mr. Moody from America. And that sister said, oh, I have not shared this with anybody, but I have prayed for a year that God would send Mr. Moody to our church. She said, don't let anybody come in this afternoon. I'm going to give myself to prayer all day that he'll come back tonight and that God will bring revival. That night, Mr. Moody went back to the church. The people were there, just as cold and indifferent, he thought, as ever. But as he began to preach, something happened. 
there was a spiritual moving of the Spirit of God. And as he preached, when he came to the invitation, he asked those who would like to receive Christ as their personal Savior to stand to their feet. Everybody stood. He couldn't believe it. He told them to sit down again. He said, now I want to be clear. Everyone who has never been saved and you want Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you stand to your feet? They stood again. Well, he said, there's something wrong. He said, I learned from the pastor, there's another auditorium over here, and we're going to call it an inquiry room. And everybody who means business with God and you want Jesus in your heart, would you go over to that inquiry room? They all went over there. He went over and talked with them a little while, and he left. The next day, there was such a beehive of activity. The pastor sent Mr. Moody a word, said, please come back Monday night. The church wants to meet, and we want you to preach again. He came back on Monday night. Scores of others were saved. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and revival came to that church because there was a Caleb who was willing to place herself before God in prayer. Now, I want to tell you, God can do something when he has somebody to do it through. God doesn't use angels to stir up revival. He doesn't use the wind. He doesn't even use a building. The little Red River meeting house down there near Russellville, that was the scene of great revivals in the late 1800s, 1700s, right at the beginning of the of the 1800s, 1779 and 1800 and 1801. There was the first great camp meeting. You go there today, there's not much going on. They don't even have services. The building itself doesn't bring revival. There has to be somebody who is willing to be placed on the altar. Caleb was a man like that. I want to give you these four things about Caleb. A countdown to revival. And anyone in this room can have this happen in his heart if he's willing. Number one, Caleb exchanged the position of the known for the position of the unknown. Now, he was in Egypt when Moses came down there. And Moses had a word from God, stirred by the fire in that bush that wouldn't burn up. He went down to Egypt to say to Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Caleb heard the daring audacity of Moses and was challenged by this. And he saw all those pestilences come upon the land of Egypt. And then he heard Moses preach, there's coming a death angel through the land. And you're to kill the Passover lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And Caleb's father, Jephthah, did that. And Caleb came under the blood. He was changed. He gave his life by faith to the God of Moses. And God changed him. Now that's the first thing. We have to be changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to be born again. Nobody in his natural estate is going to enter heaven. Nobody in his natural estate can bring revival. Nobody in his natural estate can really influence anybody else spiritually. We have to be born again. We have to have a new experience of faith in Christ. Jesus said, enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads down to destruction and many, many there be all that go in thereat. But narrow is the way. 
And narrow is the gate that leads up to heaven. Have you entered the narrow gate? Now what I say will go in one ear and out the other to some. But there may be someone within the sound of my voice who is saying, I want something that I don't have. I need something that I don't have. You can be a Caleb. You can be God's source of revival. You can be God's somebody. You can be God's someone God can use if you're willing to say, I want to exchange the known for the unknown. I want Christ in my life. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and have a change in your life. Have an exchange, the great exchange being born again. Secondly, according to Exodus chapter 14, Caleb exchanged the faithlessness of murmuring and frustration for the faith of following the leader. In Exodus 14, if you'll turn your Bible to that chapter, notice what happens. Verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Now what was the picture? Israel had just left the the land of Egypt. They were going up toward the promised land. They came to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changed his mind and began the Egyptian march against Israel. Here come Pharaoh with all of his army and all of his henchmen, his horses and his chariots and they're coming after Israel. And Israel is facing the Red Sea. And the people begin to murmur and say, now Moses, if you'd left us alone down there, Pharaoh wouldn't be coming after us and we're scared he'll come up here and kill us. We don't know what to do. I wish we'd stayed down in Egypt. And Caleb said, not so. We're going to follow Moses. Moses, what shall we do? And God said through Moses, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. He said, Moses, you've got the the priest to go ahead of you. And you go down to the verge of the Red Sea. And when they begin to march into the Red Sea, the waters will back up. And you will march through on dry land. And Caleb said, come on, let's go. Follow the leader. And those a million Israelites followed across on the dry land of the Red Sea. Now, he exchanged his frustration and not knowing what to do in the face of all kinds of turmoil and difficulty for the way of faith. You can do the same thing. You see, you're going to meet a lot of frustrations in life. You're going to meet a lot of times when you'll say, well, I can't afford it. I don't have the finances. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the talents. Well, I couldn't teach this class. I don't know enough to do it. Or I just enjoy sitting there and letting somebody else teach me. I just soak it all in. I'm like a sponge. You can do that. Or you can be a Caleb who said, no, sir, we're going to follow the leader. We're going to get out there and do what needs to be done. We're going to go across this Red Sea on dry land. How do we know? Because God said it. Now, beloved, God doesn't want any of us to sit around and twiddle our thumbs. God doesn't want us to sit down on the stool of do-nothingness. God wants us to get up. 
And you say, well, where do the finances come from? God will supply them. How on earth would those people ever cross the Red Sea if they hadn't gone down right to the verge of the water and started across? God said, I'm not going to part the Red Sea till they start. God says, I'm not going to provide till you get busy doing something. And so somebody in this place within the sound of my voice can say, I will be a Caleb. I'm going to be somebody God can use to do the unusual. I'm going to put aside the frustrations and the limitations and all those things that have bothered me. And I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord and do what God wants. Amen. Countdown to revival. Thirdly, <clears throat> Caleb exchanged the counsel of the peers for the counsel of God. They came to Kadesh Barnea after they crossed the Red Sea. Now the Bible says it's an 11-day journey from, from Egypt into the Canaan land by the way of the sea. They came to Kadesh Barnea. God said, I want you to have the land of Canaan. Now, the land of Canaan doesn't represent heaven. It represents the victorious life. It represents victory in Jesus. It represents, represents victory over frustrations and over uh, old habits and over old tempers. That's the land of Canaan. That's the victorious life, the exchanged life, the spirit-filled life. And God said, I want you to have that. So they came to Kadesh Barnea and God said, I want you to go in. And the people began to murmur and they said, well, we can't do that. We can't, we can't, we can't. They had the cantitis disease. They just couldn't. They were limited by their own lack of vision. And so Moses did what maybe some of us would do. He appointed 12 spies and I listed their names a while ago. He said, now you go in and hunt out the land and see if we're able to do it. I don't know whether Moses should have sent the spies in or not. Probably he had to. <clears throat> Came to this point where uh, they uh, didn't know really what to do and, and Moses knew he couldn't lead the armies of Israel into that land with no faith. If they were scared to death, they'd been put to flight by their enemies. And so he had to appoint the 12 spies. And so the 12 went in. And among those 12 were two men, Caleb and Joshua. Everybody else saw the giants in the land. They saw the mountains, the rough terrain. They saw the walled cities. While they came back and said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. I don't know where Moses, I don't know where Caleb and Joshua went, but wherever it was, they didn't see the walled cities. They didn't see the giants. Oh, they saw big people. And they saw cities with big bricks around them. But they didn't see it like those others saw it. They went in and said, why, God told us to do this. That's a cinch. God can do it. It's not our battle anyway. God said to do it. And so they went in and they said, we're well able to come back and do it. They came back some days later and the 12 assembled before Moses. Ten of them said, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. Too big a job. We're just like grasshoppers in their sight. Beside that, there are giants in the land. We're no match for them. We better stay out here. Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able to do it because God is in charge. You see, Caleb forsook the counsel of the peers and he looked to God. Now, beloved, if we want revival in the church, in the nation, in your family, in your individual life, you'll have to forsake the counsel of the peers. 
and just look to God and say, now, God, what do you want? What is your plan? What is your purpose? What is your will? And when we're willing to do that, God can give us his direction. One plus God equals a majority. Caleb was the kind of man that was willing to forsake the counsel of the peers and accept the counsel of God. And so God sent revival to his heart. Now, wait a minute. That's not the end. There's something more. If you'll turn your Bible to Joshua chapter 14. Years and years have gone by. Now, I hate to tell you, but at Kadesh Barnea, they did not accept the counsel of Joshua and Caleb. They accepted the counsel of the majority. And they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And out there in the wilderness, all those other 10 spies died. And all their generation, everybody who was 20 years of age and over when they came out of Egypt, died in the wilderness during those 40 years. We come to the end of the 40 years. Moses, a servant of God, comes up on Mount Nebo. He's now an old man. He can't go any longer. And God said, now Moses, I'm going to take you up here. You're going to die. I want you to see with your eyes the promised land. Moses said, Lord, won't you let me enter the promised land? A prayer. God said, not now. God always answers prayer. Years and years went by. And Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration saw Moses in the land of promise and Elijah. But not now, Moses. I've got some other assignment now. And we'll give this assignment to someone else. So Moses died and was buried on Nebo. The torch was passed to Joshua. They came down to the Jordan River. And they came over into the land of Canaan and fought the battles and won the battles. And they came down to Horeb. And we come to chapter 14. Caleb, who had remembered the days in Egypt under slavery, who had remembered going through the Red Sea, who had remembered the Kadesh Barnea experience, Caleb came to Horeb. And in Joshua chapter 14, listen to this. Wonderful passage. Verse 12. Now there, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, he said, these 40 and 5 years. Even since the Lord spoke unto the, the, this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Young people, that's 85 years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war, both to go out and come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Do you know what was happening? Here's old Caleb, 85 years old. He's been through it. Like some of these young people that were on the platform a while ago. I don't know whether they were 85 years old or not. Maybe one or two. But they say, now, now Mo, Joshua, we're, we're all right. And, and we want to keep on keeping on. And, and Caleb said, Joshua, Moses promised me that mountain over there. And I want to take it. Give me that mountain. And I'm going to go get rid of all the giants and the Anakin and the enemies of God. And he did it. Now listen. 
anybody can make a spiritual spurt. Some years ago, we were at Camp Joy, and I was the RA director, and had a boy come out there. He was showing off, flexing all of his muscles, and he was going to show us everybody how he could dive. And he got up on that diving board. If you've been over there, you know there's a diving board. He jumped up and jumped up and jumped up and got everybody's attention. He dived down in there, and he didn't come up. And the lifeguards had to go and pull him out. He's all right, still living. You see, anybody can make a big spiritual jump, but only those who can swim can get the job done. Only those who keep at it. There are people that come down the aisle and make a profession of faith, but those who keep at it. Those are, there are some who come and say, well, I want to be used by God, but those who keep at it are the ones who will be used by God. I know some people who in their youth served the Lord, but as the years went by, they became discouraged and frustrated and they sloughed it all off and they just quit on God. They're old, they're facing older age now and they're not going on with God. We honored these golden kings, thank God for them. I want to challenge them to go on and on and on and on with God. There's no end to the service of the Lord until God says, all right, your mission is over, come on home. And God will translate you to his glory land. Until then, just keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on. I've heard some people say, well, let the young people do it. I was young once and I used to do it. Let the young people do it. I don't know whether this is blasphemous or not, but fooey on that. That's ridiculous. There's plenty of work for the young people to do, plenty. But where are they gonna get example power from watching you, from looking at you? Where are they gonna get leadership from you? Why did the young men follow Caleb? Because he kept on keeping on. Revival comes when God can find somebody who will keep at the task and keep on keeping on. Dr. Lee kept on preaching. I used to invite him back. He'd say, well, Richard, if you're alive next year, I'll be there. He preached when he was 85, 86, 88, 89, 90. He was down in Florida, went down there to preach and baptize his grandson. He was coming down from the motel in an elevator and some thugs got in there and beat him up, robbed him, put him down on the floor. They got it down to the bottom floor. They got out and ran and Dr. Lee tried to get himself up. The motel people came over and hotel people apologized and said, well, we'll call the ambulance. We said, no, I'm going to preach. Why? They said, you can't preach. And the pastor was there to meet him. And the pastor said, well, we'll take you to the hospital. Oh, Dr. Lee said, no, I'm going to preach. I came here to preach. He went to preach. And he preached. Some people were saved. Listen, we cannot give in to these little old things that try to irk us and hurt us and pull us down and guy wires that make us earthbound. Let's say, God, I want you to use me until there's no more energy to be used and then I'll give my energylessness to you so you can use it too.
and keep on keeping on for the Lord. That's what Caleb reminds me of. Countdown to revival. Exchange the known for the unknown. That is, exchange your old things and the old ways. Repent of sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust Him as Savior. Forsake the counsel of the peers who would drag you back and say you can't do it and say I'm going to accept the counsel of God. I'm going on with God. And when you come to old age, defy those who say, well, you're old and set in your ways and you can't go on. You just well retire. Get out of the way. Let some younger people do it and say, well, we want the young people too. We need them. We want them. But come on, let's all do it together and go on marching to victory. I believe there will be revival. Years and years ago in our church, we were meeting in the second auditorium, probably the third auditorium. The first auditorium was the house. And then that building over there, and then this flat roof building. In that fat, flat roof building, we were having prayer meeting one Wednesday night, and Mrs. Brunson was there. Mrs. Brunson was Miss Soul Winter of Bowling Green. She, she reminded me of one of the peers, one of the wonderful ladies of the Bible. And uh, we had a great meeting that night, and Miss Bronson, before the service closed, said, I want to say a word. She was old. I don't know how old she was then. She's gone to heaven now. She leaned on one of those posts over there. It's a hallowed post to me. You see some of them, one of them in the office there now. There were posts all through that auditorium. She leaned on one of those posts, and her other hand was on one of the pews, and she said, there's going to be a great revival in this church. And God's going to use it to touch the ends of the earth. Amen. That's what Ms. Brunson said. The service ended. In April, revival broke out. Amen. It was not just the young, it, it became a youth revival, but it was spearheaded by the mature people of the church. Amen. Now, beloved, is there a Caleb in the crowd? Is there somebody here who is willing to say, I'll be used by God. I want God to use me. I want to place my life on the altar. I want to be somebody God can use. Any age, any race, doesn't matter. God can use you. And there will be a revival. Revival starts in one person who's willing to be used by God. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the life of Caleb. And we pray that every one of us here would say, Lord, use me. Don't let me ever get to a point where I have to be put on a shelf, but I want to be used by God until you take me home. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. May we stand, please. Number 312. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. As we sing this great invitation hymn, I wonder if there's somebody who would come today and say, I want to be used by God. I want the Lord to use me. Would you do that? God has, a, has his hand on someone in this room today. Will you let him use you for his glory? It may mean you need to come and trust Christ as your Savior.
It may mean that you need to come and say, God, I want to put my life on the line for you to use. Or I want to move my membership to this church and serve the Lord at this place. Whatever God says to you, will you do it? While we begin to sing, who'd step out for Christ the King? Will you come?